Debbie Mann, your Keep Your Pecker Up podcast host. And with me today is Donna Lentz. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'm excited. Donna and I have been talking about doing this since last year. And for one reason or another, we would book it and then we'd have to cancel or we just couldn't find a date that worked. And then I put it aside for a while and here we are back again. So thanks, Donna, for sticking with me and doing this. No problem. <laughs> So Donna and I are on the same Dragon Boat team. Um, as most of you may have guessed by now, a lot of the interviews and the women I'm talking to are from my Dragon Boat team. So that's how we met and that's how we're doing this. And like me, she's a breast cancer survivor. And a survivor, yay, Donna! Yes, it's actually five years this year. So Congratulations. I'm, the last time I talked to my oncologist, uh, he said he thought, I might be able to be dismissed this October. I'm so excited to be dismissed from the cancer clinic. <laughs> and also, it sounds kind of like dismissed from class, very demeaning, but it's like, yeah, get me out of here. No, right? I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, well, congratulations on that. Thank you, thank you. So five years then, how long ago, that would have been 2015, did you actually find a lump or how did you find out that? Well, actually it was found in a mammogram and it wasn't like I was, you know, lazy about, you know, self-checking. I self-checked all the time, did all the stuff that, you know, you're supposed to do. But I, in hindsight, talking to the girl that was doing the mammograms, I said to her, I'm not really sure I really even know what I'm looking for. And she sort of smiled and said, yeah, I think you're not the only person that does self-checking and doesn't have a clue what they're looking for. So I missed it, clearly. But the circumstances around the whole cancer thing are just very weird. I retired in October 2014. And my husband had been retired for a couple of years. So we had this long list of things that we were going to do before you know, it was too late. And I was called to have a mammogram for March, the end of March 2015. And it happened to be right the very first day that we were leaving for a trip to Italy, an almost three-week trip to Italy. And so I said to the girl, oh, you know, can we, I, I don't really want to come the morning that, of a trip to Italy when I'm leaving that night, so can I put it off until after I get back? And she said, oh, yeah, I'm sure. That'll be fine. So it was booked for the Thursday after I returned from this trip to Italy. And in hindsight, I'm so glad that it happened that way because I totally forgot about the mammogram, went on a trip and had the time of a lifetime. We just had the best trip. Came back on a Monday night, had the mammogram on Thursday, and then by Friday, I was being called back in. And I thought, it didn't even really alarm me at the time, because I'd been called back in before, you know, for things that they thought they saw. And then I got in there, and it was like, oh, no, that was nothing. So I thought, oh, here we go again, another false alarm. So I didn't bother taking Fred with me, because he doesn't particularly like hospitals anyway. And I thought, he doesn't need to sit there and go through all of that. Well, you know, it could end up being nothing. Anyway, as it turned out, I was there quite a long time and went through a lot of tests. And by the end of the whole session, saw the, um, the surgeon, uh, Dr. Judges, and he said, you know, we're going to do some more tests, but we've done a biopsy and we're pretty sure that this lump that we have found in your breast is breast cancer. Well, I just, you know, you can't believe it. You know, you just, it's like, you know, this is, and all you can think of is like, well, how bad is it? Is it just a little lump that they're going to be able to remove and it'll be all over? Or is this going to be like a long process or is this going to kill me? You know, like all those things go through your mind. So anyway, I sort of in shock, got out to the parking lot, called my husband and said, I have breast cancer. <laughs> I just, 
yeah, it was like, then he felt terrible that he hadn't come with me. And I thought it doesn't, it wouldn't have made any difference. You know, you deal with it. So the few days after that, it was, I went through these really funny emotions. Like, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to, I'm not even going to tell my kids. I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going to tell my 80 something year old parents because they'll be worried sick. And my dad's mom died of cancer. And of course, the next thing he's going to be thinking of is that, you know, I'm going down that road. I was determined I wasn't telling anybody. My husband knew and that was it. And I, I figured that I could get through the, the lumpectomy and, and at least get some answers before I had to tell anybody. But my husband convinced me that I wasn't really being fair to everybody, not, in, not including especially the kids, that I wasn't giving them the credit that they probably deserved to be able to handle that. And my sisters convinced me that I needed to tell my parents because they felt that if they found out some other way, they would be devastated. So I, you know, it took me a couple of days to wrap my head around it. And then I, I did tell my kids and, you know, they were shocked, you know, as we all are and worried and all those sort of things that go with it. But I have to admit that they rallied around and were amazing. You know, like they, I guess you have to give your, your kids a challenge before you find out what kind of human beings they are, because you're always the person that's you know, picking them up. And suddenly they were picking me up, you know, they arrived with all kinds of freezer meals that they put in the freezer. My son got me an Apple TV and set it up and got me going on Netflix. And it was like, wow, like I, I was really just, you know, just overwhelmed at, at how great they handled it all. And my, my parents handled it pretty much like I expected them to handle it. My dad was ready to get onto a plane and come and look after me, which was the last thing that I needed him to do. And you know, calmed him down that this was all going to be fine and that we didn't know how bad it was and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I had a lumpectomy I, right before Mother's Day. I can't remember what day of the week it was. It seems to me it was a Friday, but I do remember that it was right before Mother's Day. I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> and, you know, we did get, we all got together at my daughter's house, you know, for Mother's Day and uh, everybody was, was great. You know, we just had a great day. We didn't really talk a lot about it. It was it was fine. I mean, I still was feeling pretty sore, but it was a lumpectomy. It wasn't, you know, anything that I couldn't go to a gathering for. And then, of course, there's the long wait, which honestly, anybody that goes through cancer, it, I think the worst time is the time between the diagnosis and the actually knowing what, you know, what stage do you have? How big is this lump? Has it, you know, gone to the rest of your body? You know, what are you in for? That do you have two months to live or is this something that's going to be, you know, radiation and you're out the door? Like all those, those things go through your mind, you know, yeah. it is very scary. And I think you learn a lot about yourself in times like that. And I, there's no right way to react to this. You know, exactly. I've discovered over the years, friends of mine that have had cancer and some people just go into this crazy depression and they just can hardly get themselves out of it. And other people are like, screw this. Like, you know, I'm, gonna you know I'm gonna get through this I, I think for me because I'm a realist my philosophy was I can handle anything as long as I know what I'm handling and and I said to my husband I remember saying to him I'm a list maker you know if I get told that I've got six months to live then I'm making a list of all the things that I need to do in that six months and we're gonna do it so that when that six months is up I can say all right I lived my life the way I want to do it you know he was actually pretty good at just letting me figure it out on my own he didn't hover and you know, tell me, oh, no, you, you should do it this way, you should do it that way. He just sort of let me do my own thing. And I think that philosophy got me through. It, it worked for me. It was what I had had to do, I think. Anyway, I saw the doctor, then I guess the surgeon, 
I guess two or three weeks after the surgery. And um, the lump was a fairly good sized lump. Like I forget exactly the measurement of it, but it was, it was pretty much the size of like a thumb, you know, so it was a, a decent size. But he said that they had not found any cancer cells in the tissues around the lump or in, or in the lymph nodes. So that was all really good news for me. And he said, you know, possibly if, you know, we do all these tests on the lump and it comes back as just sort of, I remember his, his expression, a garden variety cancer. <laughs> garden variety breast cancer. I didn't know there was such a thing. But anyway, garden variety <laughs> breast cancer then I might just need a little bit of radiation and I'd be home free. And I thought, all right, then this is good news. You know, like I, the worst case scenario is they decide that there's something in the makeup of the lump. That means I have to have chemo, but you know, it didn't look like it was going to, I was going to be given a six month sentence or anything like that. So that was a quite a huge relief. Yeah, the other really funny thing that was happening around that time, because I just retired. And like I said, we had this long list of things we wanted to do. And one of the things I wanted, really wanted to do was get back to singing with the Grandfell Choir. And the auditions were that May. So I had just had a lumpectomy and just been told that I you know, had breast cancer. And I thought, do I do the audition or do I not? And I thought, eh, heck with it. I'm going to do the audition. If I don't get in, that makes the answer. If I do get in and I can't sing in September, then I just call and say, I'll postpone it. So I did the audition, I think a week after I had the lumpectomy. Wow. <laughs> And I did get in, so I was actually really happy about that and then thought I'll, you know, I'll just work it out from there. Anyway, as it turned out, I did actually, I was HER2 positive, so okay. that, and estrogen transmitter positive, so that did mean that I did have to have some chemotherapy. And I also had to be on Herceptin for a year. I know, so that, that was a bit It's a long time. It's a long time. And I, I remember my, I had my first treatment July the 4th, 2050. I remember that because it was July the 4th. <laughs> Everybody else is celebrating. We're waving America, you know, we make waving flags. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. When I went to see my oncologist, she was awesome. I had Karen Lumsden and I just love her to death. And, you know, she told me all that she was very sweet, very gentle and kind and filled in everything I needed to do. And I remember them taking me to show me the chemo suite. And I took one look at that room and said, I don't want to be here. You know, I looked around at all the people hooked up to drips and all the people without hair and all the people looking sick and thinking, this is the last place in the world that I want to be. And so, you know, being there that first day, July the 4th, I was thinking, now I'm here. You know, now I'm part of this, this scenario of people that are, that have cancer. And I also remember thinking, wow, there's a lot of people that have cancer. If it looks like this every day, like it's a it's a big deal. I remember asking them how many beds they had. Well, when I went in 2016, 17, they had 60 beds. Wow. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Like, every day. And sometimes those beds are used like several times. Oh yeah. So I was really stunned at how many people, you know, are dealing with cancer. I guess that was a real shocker. And I also, you know. I got outside of my head a little bit and realized there's a lot of people there that were much sicker than me. So I just needed to suck it up and stop, you know, feeling sorry for myself. Cause I, that was the last place I needed to go or wanted to go. And it was, but you know, actually once we got into that routine, we switched our life around. We weren't going anywhere at that point. This was what we did. This was our job. And uh, we were both retired. So we just took one day at a time. And if I felt up to doing stuff, we did stuff. And if we didn't, we didn't, you know, it was, we just settled into a routine. So I had four treatments of chemo, so that, that really wasn't too bad. They were three weeks apart, so I was done, 
I think in October or so, yeah, I think early October. Yes, it was early October because as soon as I was done my chemo, I took a trip out to visit my, my parents who live in Prince Edward Island because my okay. dad was very anxious to see me. And so I thought, I'm just going to get past all this chemo and then I'll get on a plane and go see him. My oncologist was fine with that. So Fred and I took a trip out in October out to Prince Edward Island so my parents could see that I was actually okay. <laughs> so, and, and then I started, after I did the trip to PEI, then I started 20 rounds of radiation. So I did that starting, I guess, about the end of October till pretty close to the end of November. And then from that point on, it was just the Herceptin. And I was doing that every three weeks, I think, until, and I remember my last treatment for that one because it was July the 10th of 2016, which was my anniversary. So I had, I feel like I had two dates to start dating and end date that were really memorable dates. But yeah, had my last Herceptin, Herceptin uh, July 2010. Sorry, 2016. And then I, I still am supposed to be taking the Zomida. So yeah, about a year after I'd started, I was, uh, I was done. So that was good. So then it was just every six months, the Zomida and, you know, all that sort and of stuff. And how are you I'm, doing I'm, on the Zomida and the, what are you on, uh, Arimidex or Letrozole or? Yeah, I'm on um, Anastrozole. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, Anastrozole. So far, I think I'm not having any major problems with them. Like I know some people do, but I haven't really noticed anything. So I was supposed to, and now with this pandemic, I was supposed to actually have a mammogram, blood work, another Zomita treatment, all that sort of stuff in March. And of course, because of the, um, of the pandemic, that all got moved. And actually my oncologist is saying, and I have a different oncologist right now, but he was actually very sweet. This Dr. Doherty called me at home and said, I've looked your paperwork over really carefully. And he said, I don't see any reason for you to have to even continue with the Zomita. He said, I think you've had enough rounds of it by now. He said, I'll see you in August. And if everything is the same, we will just probably dismiss you from the clinic. So it's good news. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at this as a, it's been kind of a crazy journey, but you know, it's, I got the best outcome you could possibly have, I think. So, you know, what more can you say about that? I'm happy with the results because it sure could have been much worse. So and you did okay on all the chemo treatments. You know what? I feel like I sailed through it, but I, I was religious about doing everything they told me to do. Like I took the medications exactly the way they told me to the day before the chemo treatments. And, you know, I did everything I was told, you know, I was actually kind of surprised to get into the chemo suite and find out that some people had not bothered to take the pills before they came and stuff like that. I'm going, people, you know, <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, this is there to help you. <laughs> so. You know, I think if you do what you're told, and, and I, I just was lucky. I've had friends that have gone through it and been horribly, horribly sick. And, and I really, it didn't stop me from doing much, to be perfectly honest with you. So with only four treatments, did you lose your hair? You did, eh? Oh, yeah, I lost it. It was all gone after the first treatment. <laughs> yeah, that was a really tough day. Like I, you know, it was starting to fall out. Like, I guess I had my first treatment July 4th. And probably two weeks later, it was starting to fall out. And I said to Fred, just shave it off because... It's going to be everywhere. So he shaved it off. And I can remember sitting in the backyard. It was a horribly hot day. And the hair was just flying all over the backyard. And going, and I was totally bald by the time I was done doing all that. Oh, but, wow. But kind of a funny thing about being bald, though. I tried, you know, I tried wearing a wig and I absolutely hated it. I just found it so hot and itchy and horrible. So I did most of the time, you know, in public I would wear scarves. But a long time I just went bald. And I just decided, you know what? 
I people know I've got cancer. If I've got a scarf on or something, you might as you're not covering anything up. If it was really hot, I'd put on like great big gaudy earrings and just go with my bald head. <laughs> I had uh, one. So this was towards the end of my treatments. I think I was out shopping, and uh, I had to wait for something. So I was wandering around, and I had just really peach fuzz, like baby peach fuzz, growing back. I had drawn in my eyebrows, my big earrings, you know, my bold glasses, and I'm walking around. And this woman comes up to me from a store, she says, I like your style. And I went, I said, thank you, I was gracious. <laughs> but I thought is, oh my God, you would have, you know, th this would never have happened if it wasn't for cancer, right? It just wouldn't have, so. I had one really funny moment. I was, of course, singing with the Phil Choir. I did go back in September. I told uh, Mark Vorn and the leader that I had cancer and that I wasn't sure how I was going to do with rehearsals, but I wanted to try it. And he was awesome. He, he even sat me beside a lady who had been dealing with cancer for 15 years on and off. And her and I bonded like crazy. And it was the best thing for me because, it was, you know, she was there. So I figured, if you can do this, I can do this. Anyway, by the time we did a concert in November, I was still very bald. And I had been wearing scarves to choir but I thought I better wear a wig to the concert because it's going to look kind of weird to wear a scarf we were at the center of the square and I thought I saw wear a wig and I don't think most of the choir recognized me except maybe the two or three women that lived that were sitting around me because I looked so different with a wig on but it was so stinking hot with that wig on I came off the stage and went oh man I can't stand this anymore and I took the wig off <laughs> and most of the people around me who didn't know who I was were <laughs> like yeah. yeah, I know sometimes those things that because you're living with it, you just do it. And then you realize you just kind of, I think I scared the pajibras out of half the people in that choir. <laughs> but it was, oh, it's so hot and itchy. I couldn't stand it. Honestly, the next concert, I just sang it bald. And I don't think anybody even cared or noticed, you know, if they did. I figured this is my problem, not yours. So if you can't suck it up looking at me, then you can, you know. I don't know about you, but being bald, those big earrings, your glasses, I don't know if you painted, I got an eyebrow pencil and, and did eyebrows and makeup and stuff. Because you do look a little weird without eyebrows. And I actually never lost my eyebrows. Which you did No, I never did. Yeah, no, I never did. So that actually was kind of good. It's actually pretty funny because my grandson was five at the time. And of course, he was very curious about what was going on with grandma. So my daughter-in-law was excellent at filling him in on what was happening. So the first time he saw me in a scarf, he said to me, Grandma, I thought you were going to lose your eyebrows, but you still have your eyebrows. And I said, yeah, I have my eyebrows. She said, do you still have your hair too? And I said, no, I don't have my hair. And he said, can I see? And I said, I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, I'd like to see. So I took it off and showed him. He said, hey, grandma, you look really good. <laughs> he was great with it. It was fine. We got past it and he was fine. So, and the rest of the grandkids were too young to really care one way or the other. But right. Right. yeah, he was funny. He was quite all over it, you know. But, you know, you worry about how people are going to react. But on the other side of the coin, this is not their problem. This is your right. person. You know, you yeah. can't control the way they're going to react to things. You can only control the way you deal with it yourself. I think that the, the two things that surprised me about the whole thing, you find out who your friends are when you go through something like this. Because yeah. I had some great friends who, you know, called me often to see what I needed or, you know, just to talk or whatever. But I had other friends who would cross the street if they saw me coming down the street. And I know it was because they didn't know what to say or the whole thing was very uncomfortable for them. But that I found surprising and pretty hurtful, you know? And I think even to this day, those friends have not really come back to be, you know, the close friends that they were. It just, 
you know, they kind of abandoned me at a time when I needed them. I get it. I understand that it's difficult, but yeah, I just found that hard. And the other thing that I found just plain annoying was the, the constant advice, you know, like, oh, well, you know, have you stopped doing this or have you stopped doing that? Well, surely you got cancer because you were eating this or eating that. And I'm going, oh, like, just give me a break, you know, because I actually got to the point where I said to my oncologist someday, like, at one day, I said, really, does, you know, eating sugar give you cancer? And she just rolled your eyes. And she said, no, she said, nothing you've done has given you cancer. It's you just got a bad, you just drew the short straw, you know, you bad luck. But it's really hard for people to understand that, I think they want a reason, you know, they do. And I find that after having been in the, well, with the women on the Dragon Boat team, yeah. being in the, the chemo suite in the clinic, the cancer clinic, getting <laughs> chemo treatments, I met people who were like, vegetarians or like major health nuts and like other people like me who were older and young yeah. people that was the one that broke my heart yeah, yeah the teenagers or the, the 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 20 25 30 year olds but what i realized is you know what unless you have it and you walk into all those rooms to get those treatments all the things that you came to believe the myths or the the science that if you if you didn't do this if you had done blah 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 it doesn't mean anything no i know it really I know. doesn't i mean i had i had somebody say why aren't you why aren't you doing it naturally oh <laughs> i had people say that to me too yeah <laughs> the thing is is i thought about it really yeah. it was like do i want to go through that process or do i want to go you know what are my options and i didn't yeah. stay long in the natural process because the truth is is i'm a heavy woman and if it's going to come to eating, you know, juicing carrots for the rest of my life, that's just <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't opt for that. And, you know, and I didn't look for what the stats were about the success rate of it. I do know people have had success rate with it. Good. I that's do good. know that. But I know people haven't. And yeah. so, you know, I don't know. No, I did too. And I never really thought about the naturopath thing because I, I just, I guess I've always been the type that doctors are, you know, they, they, they're all their stuff is tried and true. And I just, you know, I, I felt that I was more comfortable with that. And I just have never done naturopaths. So why would I start doing it when I've got right. cancer? You know, like that would be a silly time to start. So you got to yes. do what works for you. Honestly, at the end of the day, it's you and your body. So did you go to WellFit or anything like that? I did. And I still do, actually. I, okay. um, I loved it. I started going right after my first chemo. I, need, I think I maybe even started before my first chemo treatment. My oncologist told me about it at my first meeting. And I think it was a couple of weeks before my first chemo treatment. So she submitted my name and I heard from them. And I think I was there before I even had my first chemo treatment. I don't know. I just, I felt, I went into this sort of determined that I was going to take take advantage of everything they offered me. <laughs> So I did the nutrition classes. I did, you know, I did it all. And um, this was one thing they offered me. And so I did it. And I'm so glad I did because I just found, like, even when I was going through chemo, I just found, I had Stephanie and she was awesome. You know, the days I didn't feel that great, I'd be there and she'd be sitting beside me on the bike and just talking through stuff. And it was, you know, it was just such a great support. And I, I remember the first day that I went in bald. And there was a lady I didn't know all that well in the class. And she came over to me and she said, you just look beautiful. And I thought, I needed that today. You know, it's such a wonder, wonderful group of people that understand and, yeah. and get it because they've been there. And yeah, I still go. I, I love it. And I miss it horribly that we don't have it right now. But 
And the thing I really love about the Dragon Boat group is, and the WellFit group too, is that for the most part, nobody's sitting there feeling sorry for themselves. You know, they're, I sort of avoided going to therapy classes and stuff. I know they were offering them at Hope Spring and I know some people that went, but I thought, you know, like this is not, not going to be the right thing for me to be sitting around and, and, and feeling sorry for myself or listening to other people feeling sorry for themselves. But I'm not sure that it's like that, but I just was afraid it was going to be like that because mm-hmm. I thought I, that's not going to do me any good. I need to just sort of deal with this. And I found the humor and the fun that comes out from, of the well people and the dragon boat people is just really, that's what I need right now. You know, I need to, I need to laugh about it. Like I, I think it's hilarious when we're in the boat and somebody makes a boot joke because, you know, like only like the 20 women in a dragon boat would think that was funny. <laughs> Especially if you don't have them, which a lot of the women on the boat don't, right? That's so usually the premise of the joke. We need each other just for that. For, we do. Yeah. yeah. Life, life just doesn't always hand you what you want, you know? Yeah. You've got to learn to deal with what gets handed to you. And, and humor is a great way to handle it, I think. It's it sure is. Very therapeutic. I agree. So how did you find out about the Dragon Boat team, uh, Dragonflyers through WellFit? I saw it at WellFit. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that, you know, you know, having cancer has done for me is it, it's taken me outside my comfort zone and forced me to try some things I've never done before, just because I have this like, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, whatever, but you know, at least I have this opportunity to try it. And I've never, honestly, never been athletic. You know, like I was a kid that never got chosen to play on the team ever. I was the most uncoordinated thing ever. But I did well fit. And I thought, well, you know, I kind of fit in here. Let's try Dragon Boat. If I don't fit in, I don't fit in. And my husband just thinks it's hilarious that I'm on Dragon Boat team. And my kids, you know, they did. Because this is so not me. But I, I just love it. You know, like I wanted to join the year before and I wish I had because I joined the year that everybody went to Italy, was going to Italy. Yeah. And so I wasn't able to go to Italy. But if I joined the year before, I might have actually been able to go to Italy. But it turned out that every weekend that you guys had regattas, I wasn't going to be able to be at the regattas. And I thought that wasn't really fair to the team. So I said, you know, I'd, maybe I better wait and put it off till next year because we just had a lot of stuff going on that summer. And so I waited and started on the year that you guys did um Italy. did Italy which you know I really would have loved to have been there because it sounds like such a lot of fun but anyway I'll get to something not worried yeah it and is. so what what kind of things have you learned about yourself other than being an amazing athlete <laughs> <laughs> wow I've learned that it's dragon boating is a lot harder than it looks <laughs> I know I know, you know and it's not, everybody said to me, oh boy, that must be hard on your arms. And I said, no, it's hard on my legs. People have a hard time understanding that it, it hurts my legs more than it hurts my arms. Um, so yeah, that's just the whole and how technical it is. Like I'm, I'm actually really surprised at how technical it is. You know, I, I guess I just thought you put, you put your paddle in the water and away you go. And it's not, you know, there's so much, there's so much technique to it and so much precision and so much entire body movement that you're using. I'm surprised at how strong all the women in our boat are, you know, like that surprises me. And I'm really surprised at the ages because I just think it's so sad that we've got 30 somethings that have had breast cancer that are on our team. You know, like I'm probably in the age category where there's the majority of people that have breast cancer, sort of postmenopausal, you know, that's a fairly typical age group, but 30 somethings like that just kind of blows my mind that we've got young women who are breast cancer survivors. Emily was diagnosed at 24. Yeah, that's, that's just crazy. That just seems so wrong. I know. So, you know, those are things I've, I've learned for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, 
you know, other than dragon boating, there's, there's little that we have in common and yet we have that in common, you know, that yeah. and, and breast cancer. And yet we can get together and have such a good time together. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really, it's neat. So any words of your family and everything is okay now with you and you're okay and on track? Yeah, we're doing, I mean, we've moved on. Yeah, I mean, I think it changed my whole family. I have two daughters now who have to be very careful and they need to have mammograms more regularly than they would have had. You know, I think they're past sort of treating me with, you know, like I'm fragile. I mean, they're, kid you know, gloves. yeah, kid gloves. They're, they're done with that. You know, they were back to the relationship we had, you know, with the understanding that we've been through, a, you know, some bumps in the road together and we're on the other side of it. And I think it's, it's all we've, we've moved on. We don't think about it or talk about it a whole lot anymore. You know, it's not really a big part of, it is still a big part of my life, but it's not a big part of my extended family's life anymore. I think most of the time they forget that I've even had cancer. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I forget, you know, I, I remember saying at one point, I hope there comes a point when I say this is one of the better things that happened to me in my life. And I don't think I'm, I'm there yet, but I will say that it did change me as a person. And it, it certainly has made me look at life differently, do life differently, be different. I think, you know, I don't put off anymore doing things that I want to do. And if I really don't want to do something, I, I, it's like, why am I putting myself through this? You know, I don't have to do this. You know, I'm 65 years old. I don't need to do this if I don't really want to. And yet I, and yet I do other things that I really want to do, even if it's super outside the box. I just, I just do it. Yeah. That's great. Kudos to you. 65 is the beginning. It's not the end, right? Well, that's the way I'm looking at it, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We could yeah. probably have a whole other conversation on being, About being in our 65. 60s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when I turned 65 in November, I said to kids, now the government pays me to be old. This is great. <laughs> somebody said to me, somebody said to me, because I was diagnosed in 2015, 16, so that was... Oh, same year as uh, me. Yeah, so four or five years ago, so I was 60. So somebody said, you know, you've had cancer. You might as well collect it now because you don't know how long you've got. And I went, oh, okay, well, I'm kind of planning to stick around for a while. <laughs> I didn't do it, but eh. anyways, that's, that's another journey. Another story. Another yeah. journey, another story. Donna, thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, no I problem. really it appreciate fun. it. It was fun and it was yeah. uh, it was informative and I'm, I'm glad you decided to stick with me on this. Thank, yeah. Thanks, Donna. I think my story is probably pretty pretty normal, most like most people's stories, but, but that's all good. Like most people who have had cancer get to the other side of it. We all move on. We have a life, you know, we yeah. can live to be a hundred still, you know, so yeah. it's, and I think those are the stories people need to hear. It's not the ones that don't make it because... A lot of us make it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of us do make it. And with the with the reality check that some of us don't, all I can say to that too is always get your checkup. If something feels weird, if something feels yeah. off, just self-advocate and go and and get your doctor to do something. Because it's better yeah. to catch it early than than in the later stages. So Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Donna. Thank you. Thank Thank you for joining me in the Keep Your Pecker Up podcast, and we will see you on the next one. Bye.